When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 463 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton. He's Rafa Aldemui. And Rafa, I brought you on to talk about Barcelona versus Osasuna. But now it's been two days, and it feels like old news, very much on the back burner. Can you handle gapping it up about some other things then, I guess? I was born ready. Let's go. You know me. Okay, well, I also started the show by lying, because we do have to talk about Barcelona and Osasuna on a podcast <laughs> in some kind of format. I can't let that go. But actually, I'll keep it pretty brief here. Instead of recapping another the 11th of the season, another one nothing victory for Barcelona, three points there. We'll talk about it at the end of this. But to me, the standout and I think the talking point from that game, believe it or not, wasn't that Barcelona were quote-unquote boring or that they struggled against a 10-man side for so much of it, but that De Jong was absolutely tremendous in that game. I thought he was tremendous above everybody else in that first half when both teams had 11 men when it looked like either team could have split that game open, when Barcelona looked like they were capable of one to three goals in that game or one to four goals, whatever it was. Yeah, I thought De Jong was absolutely superb in that contest. He had this stretch where he had three straight balls delivered in that were more than 20 yards, right around the 21st, 22nd minute, going right over the top. He also delivered the ball that led to the red card that obviously Pedri gets brought down from a denying a goal-scoring opportunity. Jorge Hernando Oroz, poor Hernando Jaros, because he's 22 years old, making the league debut. Spent the whole year fighting Barca B <laughs> down in the in the third division. Yeah, and then, and then he gets a red card in his first offing. But if I remember right, Ronald Araujo did too. So there is some promise and some precedent has has been set that you can turn into a good defender after a red card. 
But then there was a one from him, DeGung, that being Takunde out on the wing as Kunde was trying to, for the second straight game, take up a spot on the wing as Barcelona tried to overload and try to pin Osasuna back as far as they could. Another reminder, too, that Osasuna was totally fine with defending in a 6-3-1 with their second string attack. So it's another one of those games, Rafa, where I feel like we can add all these caveats. That Osasuna is focused on the Copa del Rey. They were playing a second string side. They're on the road. I mean, mathematically, they can still get a Europa League spot, but they're also a bit off it. Recent results haven't really fared with that. They would much rather have a Copa del Rey against, against Real Madrid on Saturday than have three points against Barcelona at the Camp Nou. So you can see where their priorities were in that match. That's why they were defending in a 6-3-1, which didn't really change much when they changed and lost the man to a 6-2-1. Kind of stayed the same because those spaces didn't really change much of anything for Barcelona. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's none of those matches where you can make excuses for Barca, but to me, a player like De Young went out and did what he had to do to make sure the Barcelona were a better team in the match. And I, I'm I'm more optimistic and positive about his performance two days later than I am just still sitting in what was a you know a mundane one nothing win. Yeah, I think sadly in the last two games, in my opinion, we can't draw any real conclusions out of them because for different reasons, but we were playing against 10 men for the most part, both against Betis and uh, Osasuna. So to analyze for good or bad X or Y player, in my opinion, I, I, I don't like to do that when like we're playing against 10 men for the most part because it doesn't re reflect what we're going to see, obviously, 90% of the time. We're going to be playing against 11 players, not 10. So the same way I, w I wasn't... I guess Betis was like, oh, four, whatever, four goals, four nails, four one. I don't remember what the score ended up being, but like people were super happy, and I was like, like calm down, like this, this is not a game to draw any real conclusions. Same against Osasuna, the, the, for the reasons that you mentioned, they got a match that is way more important than than this one coming up against uh, Real Madrid, the Copa del Rey final. They were at the camp, no, they were down to ten men at a very early stage of the game. So they did what almost every team does when they're down to 10 men. They just defended for their lives. And we know, even when we were at our prime with Xavi, Iniesta, and Messi, how hard it was to bring down a team that just stuck everyone in front of, in front of their net. And now that we don't have those type of players anymore, and the one that we do have, that being Pedri, is still getting, I think, that like match fitness. Again, coming back from I mean, being out for so long due to injury, that, yeah, it was a boring match because for the most part, Barcelona, we, yeah, we did have our three, four good chances of like scoring a goal, and we should have won by more. But in the general consensus of the match, I didn't see a Barcelona, a fluid Barcelona, being able to knock that defense down that it's just everyone's just sitting in front of the net. And it's because, obviously, we're not that team. Like, if it was hard when we had those players that I mentioned, now that we don't, obviously, it's going to be way harder. And that's exactly what we saw. It was, it was frustrating a little bit because... I was like, we do have possession. We do have the ball. We're going side by side. Like, this is a handball match and whatnot. But, like, there wasn't, like, because Pedri wasn't, didn't have that great of a game. He's still, like, getting back to match fitness. The only bright spot was, like you said, Frankie. And apart from him, like, there wasn't any sort of magic that you need to break down a team that just sitting every that's just parking the bus. 
So it was a boring game. I, I don't think we can draw any kind of conclusions on as the team as a whole, Chavi as a coach, the players. It's just it was what it was. It was just let's get the three points, which we did, and now we're one step closer to winning the league. Well, that's why I started and kind of want maybe the only talking point and focus on that game to be about the young because I was thinking about it and I was like, well, if I watch that game and thinking back throughout the rest of this whole season, it was when I was in maybe it's because I was in Germany when I when I saw that match, but the four nothing win over Villarreal back in like October, November, when they played that pivot of De Jong as a pivot or the pivot. Yeah. They played the De Jong as a pivot, Pedri and Gabi together as the trio in midfield. That was the one time and it's happened a few times this season, but that was the one time this year where I think the largest calls were this can work. Look at the way that Villarreal at the time who were not in great form, but they were good enough. They could have taken points off Barcelona. Barcelona were not, you know, they were getting results, but again, they weren't playing high-flying score every match. They were winning one nothing at the time. And Lewandowski was scoring goals at that time, too. And he was a big, big reason why they were getting three points over and over. But that 4 nothing was just defiant. And it was, you know, and, and I thought Frankie was amazing at the pivot in that game. But since that time, it, especially in the spring here, every time he is asked to be just a pivot, like at Raya Vallecano, where you look at... Osasuna and Rayakana, where the difference was a 2-1 loss to a 1-0 win, sure, and very different, where Rayakana, they were sitting in, but they were much more dangerous on the counterattack. Osasuna were really just sitting into a low block and not causing too much damage the other way on the counterattack. Chimi Avila touched it. I have the number here. I think it was 10 times or 18 times before he was subbed out. I mean, just 18 touches for, for their center forward. Not great, right? They had a plan, and they stuck to that plan. But the point is, for De Young. What I felt like has uh, the referendum for this year on him is that in years past, we're talking even two, three seasons ago when he arrived, him next to Busquets as a double pivot would not work. We were not signing up for that. That was the worst case scenario. And that's why I was like, can you even have De Jong on the field? So he played as one of the interiors and then Busquets was the pivot. And then it was whoever was with him. It was Rakitic in his first season. And then slowly that changed and throughout time. And that was also having to do with with Messi on the field as well. And the whole setup obviously changed in the post-Messi era. So really, we're talking like the last two seasons. How can we have a referendum on where do Young needs to be? Because that is an argument that still happens with Kool-Aid. Is he a pivot or is it a double pivot alongside a pivot, an actual pivot like a Busquets or they're looking at Amrabat as well? And this is one of those games where if I get nothing out of this other than a big picture idea that it's not that you do well with De Young and Busquets together, but De Young and Busquets now, having played together for so long, raises his ceiling, that being De Young's ceiling. And all you've been asking for for years now is how do you make that player one of the best players on the field? So again, why I'm optimistic and positive about another game like Osasuna is it's not just that game meant that my eyes are now open to the idea of De Young as a controller next to Busquets, but it's that that is another example of how De Young needs to be that controller type. And if you're going to take somebody out of your Gala 11, your starting 11, it's Gabi as an inside forward. If you actually get a real left winger, if you actually get like a guy, as, as you were saying before we hit record, like if you actually bring in a crack, right, to be on that left wing, then Gabi is the one who sits, which is okay because he's 19, 20 years old and you can rotate him. And Pedri, we know, is one of Barcelona's most important players who gets hurt a lot. So Gabi will still end a season with 30 matches started, like, or 25 or whatever. Like, I can guarantee you that. I mean, Busquets is also, again, 900 years old. So it's not like De Young won't be a pivot at some times, especially next season. If they bring Amabat, that might change things. But again, Amabat at Fiorentina is not the same guy that's going to... I mean, Amabat at Fiorentina likely does not take the starting spot from Busquets, to be honest with you. The way that 
this Barcelona functions, it doesn't say anything about Busquets as an individual, but this Barcelona functioning with De Young and Pedri and Busquets and Gabi, I think will still function better next season than bringing in the Amabat Fiorentina at the moment because he really is just cover for Busquets. And then in theory, he's a, what is what, that, that transition into or transition for two or three seasons until they can afford somebody substantial at that spot and actually bring in, let's say, a world-class midfielder if they so choose to, if they don't bring up any anybody else in. The other thing you say of why that match is so frustrating, and we'll end it here with about the Osuna point, is that front line, which we were talking about a little bit off-air, and I had the numbers for you with Lewandowski. A really frustrating game, not by him, but for him, which is different. Last time you were on, and I've done this recent guest, where we're talking, is Lewandowski okay? What's wrong with him? But it was, an, it was a frustrating game for him because it was this perpetual cycle where they're against a low block. So he'd go and he'd mix it up along a back line with six guys. He'd always have one of the six in his hip. And then he would come in, drop in, try to link up. And if that didn't work, he would go out wide, try to link up there, which is what I believe, what was it? Oh, against Real Betis. Him going wide is what led to one of the goals. But then if that didn't work, which it didn't, he'd go right back to mixing it up with those six in the low block. And he had 30 touches in that entire game. But the majority of those even came in the second half. So I, I couldn't see how many he had just in the first half, but in the whole game, 30 touches. And to compare that to recent performances against Betis, it was 47 touches. Even against Rio, where I was like, oh, he put in a stinker, he had 41 touches. Against Adafe, where he put in another stinker, he still had 38 touches in that game. As I said, Chimia Villa on the other side had just 18. So <laughs> it could have been worse for Barcelona. But for Lewandowski, he cannot have 30 touches in a game. Like whether he is choosing to link up, which may not be his strong suit, but it's also something that we saw against Real Betis, the space needs to be available for him. And I, I think what, for the second straight game, I'm also saying Real Betis and then Rosasuna that Rafinha was not a part of that problem as to why Lewandowski wasn't necessarily getting service. I mean, logically, you say, yeah, he came out for Dembele. That made a ton of sense. You want to get Dembele match fit again. But, you know, I think Rafinha tucking inside like that is really essential and makes you ask the bigger question that, I mean, are we asking about Kunde? Can Kunde, like, should Kunde actually be a right back? Now, obviously, would you sell? I'm doing a lot for you and asking a lot of questions, but obviously, if, if, if somebody comes in and, and gives you 80 million for Rafinha, you solve your problem right there. You take the money and run, and you say, well, if you're going to keep Rafinha or Ferran Torres, Ferran Torres as a backup on the right wing, fine. So be it. We know with amortization that you're going to lose money likely on him unless somebody comes in for 60 to 80 for Ferran Torres, which is. I don't care what Newcastle said they put in. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe that for one second. So yeah, I mean, somebody's going to come in for $35 million, So you keep Ferran Torres kind of because you have to. You take the 80 on Rafinha and you get out. And then, yeah, and then if you have to trudge forward because of FFP with just Koundé as your right back, as your starting right back next year, then you just do that. Because you, and then you just have Ferran Torres and Dembele and you try to hug that touchline. And, and that's how you go about your business next year. Because I am just trying to ask those questions about what's best for next season. And who, who best fits this system? Because it isn't just individuals. It is a system. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast. But for the Barcelona version, there's Piquet and Puyol or Piquet and Mascherano. Or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case... When it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 
up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yes, I, I agree. But in that aspect, that's the thing. Like, we're not like, like Rafinha's strength is cutting inside. And obviously, he hasn't played with a natural right back throughout the entire year because Kunde's not a natural right back. Araujo obviously isn't. Sergi Roberto is not a natural <laughs> right back. So, to put it lightly, so I guess that that hasn't been something positive for Rafinha and to show what he's good at and quote-unquote hide what he's not good at. But that being said, and we were talking about this, I mean, off the air, I think we have to, as Barcelona fans, analyze absolutely everything given our economic situation, whether it's like the expectations for X, Y, and Z players are different if that player came in for free versus if we ended up paying 40, 60, 80, whatever we ended up paying. And I think that's been Rafinha, for me, that's been Rafinha's downfall because if he had come in, come in for 20 to 30, that would have been a bargain. Like, you get a 
player that's really good as a backup right winger that fill in when Dembele is not playing, which we all know how injury-prone Dembele is. But the fact that we paid whatever we ended up paying, 50, 60, 70 million, like I still don't know what the actual fee ended up being with that on, I, and possible add-ons and whatnot. But I think that's the whole point. It's expectations. So with Rafinha, that's what, that's my problem with him. And that and it's not his fault. Like, the, the, we paid what we paid. Like, he didn't have anything to, anything to do with that. But when you pay 60, 70 for a winger, I'm ex- expecting you to be a difference maker. And like, a, a real legit threat, speed, taking on people and whatnot. And then, let's say, if, if you come across, like, Alfonso Davies and, I don't know, whoever, like, a top left back, and you aren't, you don't have your best game, then that might be, quote-unquote, passable in a way. But we've seen Rafinha, and he's, like, the third-tier left backs of, like, Valencia and, so, like, teams like that. And him not being able to go by practically anybody so are threat on that right wing is basically non-existent how we are used to with Dembele or when even Abde was coming through the ranks when we didn't have anybody that last Kuman horrible, like Kuman's last horrible season. So to me, we should have to take that into account. Like sadly, like in this day and age football, you need difference makers, whether they're in the midfield, like Pedri, whether they're up top on the wings like Dembele when like Benicio's at Real Madrid, you need players that are able to go by, especially when teams nowadays, Xavi has said it so many times during post-game press conferences. Like nowadays, a lot of teams press high up, and that's man-to-man, high press. So if you got players that are able to go by their mark, then that just changes changes the entire way the other team sets up because now they're scrambling. They have to overcome what, like, that's another word that I wanted to use. Like, they're scrambling because now if Dembele goes by his guy, then somebody has to cover Dembele. And the guy that was now has to cover Dembele left the space that somebody else has to cover. And then somebody's going to end up being alone, whether it's Mm -hmm. the opposite left back, the opposite left winger, whatever that may be. So... Nowadays, I think we need difference makers, and I don't think Rafinha, for the amount that we paid, is a difference maker. So if that rumor is true that Newcastle are going to offer close to 80, I would literally break, like, just yank their arm and send him to Newcastle because I, for that amount, I don't, I, I think we we have to cut our losses as soon as possible at the earliest opportunity, and then just re, re reassess everything. Like, we get they back for nothing, and then you're selling somebody for 80, or I don't know how much of a profit we're going to make, but at least we're going to break even. And then you got update. So if we want to reinforce all their positions, well, having a right, natural right back, whether that happens or not, that remains to be seen. Whether it's some midfielders that you're, you're going to mention a little bit later on, and having more creativity in that midfield, because when Petty's not here, we have zero creativity in that midfield. So I think that's the whole point. Nothing against Rafinha himself, but it's just a matter that he came in with a certain price tag that, in my opinion, doesn't match his overall product. Yeah, goal contributions. We talked about it for the season. 10 goals and 11 assists. And just in league, as you were talking, I'm I'm looking this up now, uh, based on the players that in their domestic leagues, so in in theory, in the 
we'll say the top seven, eight leagues, including the Portuguese league and, and the like, about those players that have similar goal contributions in league. Right around Rafinha with 13, there's Davineras for Benfica, the old Ajax product. There is Zakaria Ubacal from Toulouse, who just won the, uh, the Copa in, in France. There's Palazon from Raya who Barcelona fans just saw at 13 as well. And then Takafusakubo at 13 as well. And then you're, I mean, and Rafinha on that list is number 20, but he's tied for, what is he, tied for 15 with like seven or eight players, right around thir- with 13 goal contributions. In, in La Liga, so just breaking that down, Marcos Asensio has 14, 15 for Rodrigo, so just two more than him. And then you're already in the top 10 with moving backwards from 10, Felipe Anderson for Lazio, Gnabry at Bayern Munich with 15, Utara for Bournemouth with 16, doing his work in the Premier League, trying to help them stay up. Marcus Edwards for Sporting CP, Musa Diabe, Leverkusen, Jonas Hoffman for Mission Gladbach, and now we're at 18. You jump up to Saka for Arsenal, 24, Salah, 25 for Liverpool, and then um, I don't I always mess up this guy's names. Messi for PSG with 30. We'll talk about him later, though, this PSG kid. So 30 for him, right? And that's the right wing position. For a so, split second, I was like, Masai. Who the hell is Masai then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> what I'm telling you is that the right wing, like when, when you say, what does Barcelona need? How do they get what they need? I'm fully supporting the idea of Abde in rotation, especially because they're, as I've been saying about the winger market, and I've been saying about the young fullback, fullback market for a long time, that like you can only get who's available, and Barcelona obviously cannot pay a premium price for those. When, I mean, as I keep saying, like when a player like Arnaud Martinez might be available for 20 million, like, and he's formerly a Barcelona and maybe you can get a deal on his wages because again, he's a former Barcelona player and he's not going to expect the club to be paying, you know, weekly wages. So the transfer fee, the transfer fee and the the beta release clause, whatever. But if you can get players that are choosing to come to Barcelona still on reduced wages, like you have to do that because competing on wages with the Premier League is just a sunk cost for, for at least another season. And so I, I almost have to come to the recognition again that, yeah, I agree with you that you take the money and run and go at it from there. Now, the last thing, it's not about Osasuna because, of course, Jordi Alba will probably be at Barcelona next year. Will he be on reduced wages? Who knows? But it was interesting to hear the discourse about him as well after he scored the goal, three points. And yeah, having him as a backup is great. But as I told you, he's going to get 21 plus a bonus next season, which is way too much for a backup left back of, in, in any regard. And I don't know what the club does. Like they, It's too much or they cannot forfeit the contract you cannot sign that that goodbye contract and, and and say we'll cut our losses here but anyway so most importantly though about that game to put it to bed it was another three points and now barcelona is one win away which could come on sunday the 14th against espanol which of course everyone's excited by that five matches left 15 points up for grabs barca is 13 points up on atletico madrid who they do have the tiebreaker over so two points means that even if real madrid won all five of their matches barca wins the title and three points means that they win the title just outright, which does mean that if Adafe takes points off of Real Madrid on Saturday or Elche takes points off of Atleti on Sunday morning, well, that's not or, but and, then Barca will already be champions when they kick off in Cornea against Espanyol. So it'll already, already be done before that match even takes place. But I would much rather, I think most people would much rather them go out, take the three points and win it the old fashioned way. Both scenarios of which, of course, are chef's kiss to win it, of course, at, uh, at Espanyol. And likely with that win, potentially send them down because they are now second to last. LJ is already going down, but they're second to last. And with just five matches remaining, they've got to pick up something fighting with Hadafe and, and believe it or not, Valencia. So one of those is definitely going down. Well, 
let me say, almost probably two of those three are likely going down. So we'll have to figure out what happens there. But our last two topics, the big topics are unavoidable. I can't put them off until next week until we know more. And you know me, Rafa. I want to know more before I jump in with hot takes and try to go crazy on stuff. But we can't do that. We have to talk about them now because Messi and Alemani, those are the two names. We're going to start with Matteo Alemani and the show with Messi. So Alemani is leaving Barcelona as a director of football a year before his contract was set to expire in 2024 and most likely heading to Aston Villa. That's why I apologies to Aston Villa. That was the rumors for Ferran Torres, which is funny that Ferran Torres gets linked with Aston Villa. What? 48 hours after Alemani is like, I'm out. <laughs> and then I'm probably going to Aston Villa. And then all of a sudden here comes Ferran Torres. So Jordi Cruyff could also be out the door as well as a club sporting director. The weird part though, is that Alemani is leaving on June the 30th and said that he'll finish the summer transfer business. Considering the transfer window ends two months after that, that makes a ton of sense to me, Rafa. Just, I, I get it. The calendar, right? He's leaving on June 30th. The transfer window ends two months after that. Yeah, okay. All right, great. <laughs> makes sense. I mean, I, wa- I was surprised to read that news when it happened. But at the same time, well, should we be surprised that things like this happen? It's FC Barcelona. That is like the MO of this club. Like, they make us feel it's a roller coaster, like, have being a fan of this club, whether it's for all the wrong reasons or all the good reasons. So, this is what being a Barcelona fan is all about. You get to celebrate three points. We're almost going to win the league. We haven't won since the 2018 2019 season, uh, since Messi left, yada, yada. And then it's like, yeah, going down again. Mateo Lenoman, Aleman has left the club. And you're like, wait, what? Like, how does this happen? Then we read rumors about, like, there was some, like, how do you say, like, in Spanish, it's roses, like, like butting heads a little bit with certain things. Like, apparently, he wasn't, well, we kind of knew that. He wasn't very fond of having to renew Dembele, given his relationship with uh, Dembele's agent, Musa. Apparently, he wasn't very fond of bringing back Messi as well, given, obviously, the current economical situation of the club and all the things that we're going to have to do if we ends up coming back to Barcelona and we're not. And then uh, there's also rumors that Aston Villa are kaching, kaching, offering him a way higher salary than what he has right now at the club. So that's the only one. Like, you can stop with that last one because I don't care much for his reasoning for leaving. Mm-hmm. Because until we hear from him likely next season when yeah. he's at a new job, I don't trust anything I hear. Because I've heard that he was against keeping De Young. You know, we heard the same thing. But again, yeah. that was De Young's choice. I've heard he's against renewing Busquets and Roberto. And we've all agreed on that. But again, we've discussed why the club may not have a financial choice in that matter. And why financially, it makes much more sense. Everybody who watches football understands. I mean, even most of the Catalans understand what Sergio Roberto is at this point in his career. But I, we've, again, discussed why renewing him financially to fill out the rest of your squad from 22 to 25 is almost a necessity and has to happen based on his, his new renewed wages on that, that new contract. And we also can discuss the Messi business, right? And how he doesn't want to bring Messi back, but that's with no certainty, like with its financial pros and cons as well, wrapped into all that, which again is our final topic here. So, but I, I don't know, like there's no certainty that Messi can arrive and there was no certainty that Messi was going to leave when he left. So the, this idea that, Oh, if Messi's coming back, I, I fundamentally disagree with this and it's going to create, more trouble for my job. I don't think it's that why he's leaving, but I think what you had was the first point you made was the right one. My speculation is that the last few seasons, like is the case with every official at Barcelona, everybody who just doesn't seem to be the president, 
but even the presidents are worn down. But it's daily exhaustion being around that Entorno, and somebody can be ready to move on. So his contract was up next year. He's leaving a year before his contract was due. And as you said, that Aston Villa job may be Premier League pressure, but it's pressure to keep your side up. And you have a whole lot more money to worry about that and work with that and both money to spend. And as you mentioned, also almost certainly a lot more money for him as well. So less expectations as well. Right. So taking all those things into, into account, this is a man moving jobs. Like this is a man like who has been at Valencia. He's been other places. And this is somebody else saying, Hey, you want some relief from what is just a constant. I mean, we just hear what he hears, right? And just we hear all the rumors after the fact or an hour or two after the fact. Just imagine being him and having to deal with what is constant. Like, I'm not putting pressure on, I'm not even saying it's Laporta in particular. Like, we know things about Laporta and we've heard things about his personality and his character and how that can be difficult. But we also know that in the past, he wants, brings guys in to do their jobs. Like, even though he wants football people doing football jobs, we also saw in a Bartomeu what the opposite of that looks like. So in truth, like there is no perfect circumstance. And I want to mention too, as I go into the three candidates here, nepotism is bad if it doesn't work out and ignored if it does work out. That's how nepotism works. If you bring in your friend and your friend does a great job, now you have a solid foundational partnership that works perfectly. But if it doesn't work out, then your nepotism has got everybody in trouble and everything comes crashing down. Which brings me to the three candidates that have been made public so far. Antonio Cordon, who's previously worked with Jordi Croy for the Ecuador national team. And his credentials mainly are 2017 Monaco that made the Champions League semifinals, as well as Villarreal and most, re- re- most recently Adrian Betis, having left in February. So with a guy like that, I would actually kind of tab players like, with especially with, with Bellingham possibly and likely going to Real Madrid, I could say a guy from Celta de Vigo, like Gabriel Viesca, like he's more likely to arrive at the club under a guy like Cordon, who just knows the Liga so well, like the back of his hand, maybe get some discounts there. Fernando Caro was a name that popped up today. Bayer Leverkusen CEO has been with Leverkusen since 2018, but he was born in Barcelona. He is a registered socio still, and he was in management, like that being behind the scenes, prior to working in football, which does bring us to the last choice and the leading choice, which is almost the opposite of Caro, which is Deco. Laporte apparently wants a former player in the role, which again, is not surprising across Europe because if you pick a director of football that is a non a former like a, a non former player and he completely flops, you look like double the idiot if he's if if a non football guy flops. But if a football guy flops, you go well maybe he wasn't cut out for the role, but we gave it our best try very much like Abidal very recently. And of course that off the field stuff with Hamraoui and everything else just completely went sideways and all that stuff with Abidal. But that's a different point. So obviously for Deco things would have to happen. He would have to no longer be Rafinha's agent of late. And he's also been working with Barcelona, been part of their, the, the organization for a while now as their, their, I guess he's officially or unofficially the Brazilian director of scouting, whatever you want to call it, uh, in the Brazilian market. So obviously he'd have to pass Rafinha and his whole marketing group off to other people. And he'd have to change the course of his business. Is he willing to do that to become the director of football at Barcelona? I don't know. But I think his lack of experience being a sporting director has certainly got people weary of the nepotism that we know exists at Barcelona. So I just, I, I, I know, before, I, I saw you nodding your head. Before we overreact, I don't want to overreact to the idea that Deco is going to do terrible because he might do great, right? And then we're just, okay, we're all the better for it. But I don't know. I, I, I'm not even prepared to hedge my bets on somebody who has a lack of experience. But yeah, of course, like any time that Laporta goes, that's my guy, and you go, why? And he goes, Vibes, man. Like, I love it. Like, <laughs> it's vibes. I like his vibes. I like hanging out with him. And whenever it feels like a choice is being made for that reason in Barcelona, 
it does feel like, as you mentioned with Alemani leaving right after you get three points, like Barcelona is a club that take two steps forward and one step back. After being with Bartomeu, they seem to take one step forward and two steps back. <laughs> but now under Laporte, it does feel more like two steps forward and one step back. And you're right, like Deco could be two steps back. And that's, I think he's a risk. And risk is not what Barcelona wants when your club needs to get every single euro right. Really, every single euro has to be correct. And that's obviously a reasonable fear. That's my sentiment, what you just said. If we had a very stable economic situation, I wouldn't be so reactionary and put my hands on top of my head like Deco, what, what? Because if he flops, it's not as bad. We do have a safety net. We're like in, in stable economical situation. Right now, we're not. We're far away from that. So how in the green hell are we going or is Laporta going to hand the keys of the club in that aspect? It's so important of bringing the right choices and then knowing the ins and outs, the intricacies of contracts, financial fair play, registering players, wages, this and that. Does Deco even, like, is he good at that? Does he know anything about that? Like the whole, like the whole structure of it? I don't know. And it doesn't seem like it. So why would Laporta, because his head is on, not, not on the chopping block, but he's the president. So if this goes south, he's going to be made responsible for naming Deco. So now, I don't know if Cordon is going to be great if he ends up being the guy. I don't know if the Leverkusen guy is going to be great if he ends up being the guy. I don't know if Deco is going to be good if he ends up being the guy. But right now, I would feel way safer in the hands of the other two that do have experience at the highest level of doing this and do have a track record like Cordon with that Monaco side that then uploaded so many talented players, Bernardo Silva, Bacayoko, Mbappe, Fabinho, and I, I don't remember who else. But then, then the, he was also in charge of that like great Villarreal of the mid-2000s, Riquelme that went to the semifinal against Arsenal. And then you got the other guy that Leverkusen, like you see guys like with like Florian Birds. Frimpong, uh, Incapié, and then just to name a few. So you see that he does have experience, experience in that aspect. And then you got Deco. Like, don't get me wrong. As a player, I love Deco. But as a sporting director, in such a crucial moment that we're making, bending so many ways to try and bring Messi back with the wages being what they are still with so many players like left, like Jordi Alba still going to earn close to, what, 25, 30 gross next year. We got players coming back like Umtiti, Sergio this. Like, are we going to be able to sell them, loan them out again? Like, there's so many conundrums, like selling Rafinha. Like, you got to get what you said. We're in a situation when that we don't have a safety net. Yeah. If we got to do 10 transactions, we got to get, right, at least nine. We yeah. don't have that luxury of, oh, well, he missed... He did four, four right and then missed on the other six. Like, that's not an option for Barcelona yeah. right now. I feel like for the last three years, I feel like a broken record every summer. Yeah. I say that, yeah, you don't, Langley is not someone that anybody thinks about. Like from, from week to week and day to day. And then sometimes like, oh, Langley, uh, Clement Langley, he's doing okay at Tottenham and he's on loan. And then you remember that, right? And I talk about it every now and again. But you're right. Dest, Titi, Langley, 
those are the deals that need to be done first because those players have no place in next year's squad. Rafinha and Ferran Torres were in the squad this year and had some confidence from Xavi to be in the squad. They were brought in to be a part of this squad. They are not what is for Barcelona damaged goods and sent out on loan. Like that's not the case. So there is so much work that needs to be done. And as I said, for Alemani to leave in the way that he is kind of makes you assume that whoever steps into that job, I mean, they almost have to step into that job like now, because if uh, what Alemani has to do isn't even, I mean, yeah, he has to basically get rid of 80 million. And you're right. If you're on the first day of the transfer window, you say Newcastle, 80 million, Rafinha, great. That's exactly what we need to get back to zero. And then we'll take our time, that being the next month, to get rid of all of those other players that you need to do. So you make up some kind of thing, something that you could spend on a one-to-one. That would be the idea. And so can he do all of that by June 30th? But here's the but. It's not one-to-one because, all right, I'm going to jump right into the messy thing here. Because the messy thing, as I said, connects to Alemani so closely because I throw those rumors out because the idea of Messi, <laughs> whether I would want him back or not, or what he is on the field, we've talked about it before, what it would mean to Kool-Aid's, you know, because I think every Kool-Aid would want him back if he wasn't expected to play on the field, <laughs> right? They would just like want him back to be a part of the team and to play whenever and however, almost as this figurehead above the state, like above the 11 on the field. Like if they could just play with the 12th person, that's messy. Running around <laughs> doing thing, like all Kool-Aid to celebrate that. Because, yeah, let me, I'll, I'll, I'll be back to this in a second. Because the messy point here, here's what's true. Messi went to Saudi Arabia as part of his deal with them for tourism and publicity, and PSG suspended him two weeks. On the back of what we already knew before this, which is 99% true now, Messi has done a PSG. But as I said earlier in the week on that quick little show I did, the Messi deal comes down to the league approving Barca's revenue plan. That was the big deal about the Champions League group stage that we made. Liga approved a financial plan for Barcelona for this season, last summer, that included making it to the knockouts because they would have expected that the team who'd made, what, like half of the, or 70% of the semifinals for the last decade would at least make the knockouts. And so using that prize revenue for the knockouts in the financial plan, Liga approved it. And even winning La Liga and the Spanish Super Cup didn't make up for that because there was no new matches added to those games. Those matches, like, yes, there was an additional Spanish Super Cup game, but I, I believe with, like, the deal with Saudi Arabia, like, Barcelona don't give as much. Like, even the prize for winning that trophy was kind of already set, if you will. So the revenue, vol- not volatility, but the volatility. Hey, of- we added the, the Kings League final. <laughs> sure, right, right. So bring that in. Well, yeah, the Copa del right. Well, no, I think they had semifinals. No, no, I'm, I'm talking about, like, the PK's league. That played out oh. as a joke. Yeah. Okay. yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, anyway, the league of matches are played whether or not you win the title or not. So you're only getting the, the small middle school prize money from winning the league of trophy. And that money did not offset playing the champions league, or I should say not playing in the champions yeah. league knockout, that money being omitted. Because again, one round of the Europa league didn't do anything for that either. So that's why Barcelona didn't know until January that they wouldn't be able to spend in January. And the same now goes for this summer. Barca is making their plan for the for revenue in 2023. It's not that they don't know anything. It's they're preparing their plan, which has to be approved by La Liga with player sales. So again, they're using information they have. And again, the player, the transfer window does not begin until June, until what yeah, June 1st. So they or July 1st. Yeah. July, July 1st, July, yeah, July 1st. 1st. Right, right. So they can begin to put things in motion now, but they can't with certainty know about player sales until July 1st, until Alemani is already gone. So those player sales may or may not happen. We saw Ilasha Komash, who was going to be a free agent, and he could already sign a pre-contract. That already broke down for Legion United because they changed some of the things behind the scenes with personnel. 
and he didn't want to be a part of that. So now he's going to have to go somewhere else. But 200 million continues to be the magic number. 120 million is already set to come off the books. Those numbers are, are already set with Griezmann and PK and whatever and all that stuff. But 80 million more is required to meet the wage bill limit set by the Liga based on Barca's potential revenue. And that is what we know as a fact. So that includes playing in front of a lot, lot less people while the stadium gets renovated, as I've said many, many times. And I can promise you at this juncture that Javier Tebas is saying it's complicated and he's correct about that. It's very complicated, but he doesn't know off the top of his head all the numbers as to why it's justifiably complicated. And that is why it's not about Messi being complicated, but yes, 13 million or any player that is coming in on 13 million wages or 10 million wages, those are the two numbers you keep seeing. Any player at that number is going to be extremely, extremely, remarkably complicated for Barcelona. So don't even say Messi. Call him a 13 million player because if he is a 13 million euro player and nothing were to change, that player is insanely complicated regardless of the revenue that he is bringing in by being Lionel Messi. If that all makes sense, right? Like, yeah, with, yeah. I mean, so I would say it's, it's that way. And then the other choices for Messi, of course, he can, his first choice at 13 million, of course, to come back to Barcelona with a one plus one deal, as we've discussed before, Saudi Arabia, he could go there for 600 million euros was the number that the PSG president floated out. But you know, who knows about that? I, I mean, I believe 600 million euros. I mean, I don't know. So, I mean, I can comprehend that if PSG are, paying him a similar number or over the course of 10 years, I would have paid him a similar number or he can head to inter Miami and take on a project like never before. And I'm once again, reminding you that while I have no insider knowledge whatsoever, the 2026 world cup in North America, along with the new Apple deal for MLS that was signed for this season, you know, we're doing it. It's going, it's going on. So I can tell you that there is money to be made for Messi. That is a bit more interesting than just getting a fat check to play in a league that no one will ever see in Saudi Arabia. Messi will take MLS's highlights, which do exist at a very high level. I export them myself. I can personally promise you that they're at a high level, but they will be actively seen by a lot more people in a way that Saudi Arabia, I mean, the Saudi Arabian league just isn't ready for broadcasting and media quality perspective. So that's what Messi has waiting for him. But obviously his first choice is return to Barcelona. That's where his house is. That's where his kids want to be. That's where his family wants to be. That's where everyone wants him to be. But at 13 million euros, Barcelona may not be able to afford that. And whether or not they lost Alemani, might not matter to that, right? Like Deco, it doesn't matter who is the director of football. They might not have a choice in Messi being able to come back or not being able to come back. It just might not, might not be possible. And I just want people to like not prepare themselves for that, but just understand that it, it is about the numbers. It's boring and nobody cares. You took a nap. I watched you. You were dozing off. So I'll hit the <laughs> alarm clock for you and, and let you get back in on this. Yeah, I mean, the whole messy thing is, I think, we like what you just said, we have to take into account priorities. Messi, I know this is going to sound, sound horrible, is not a priority at the moment. Literally, we have to register other players that are currently in our squad. Those Gabi Araujo and even Sergi Roberto, which we renewed. So... We got to register our players first. Like you said, we got to go back to the one-by-one one rule. So whether it's selling Rafinha for 80 or Ansu for 100 or Ferran and Rafinha for that, whatever that means, ends up being Kessie for 30 and then this and that. But we got to get 80 million somewhere. And those things come before even thinking about Messi. Then after that, and this is my question to everyone that's watching the show. There's players, really good players, that are going to be available 
for free. Those meaning the Gundogans of the world. I know this might sound crazy. Is Gundogan coming in for free a priority over Messi coming in for free but with those wages? Keeping in mind that there's a lot of parts in our squad that we need to strengthen. We don't have a right back. We need a right back. Whether we'll get one, I have no idea. The midfield, like you said starting the show, the, today the name was Amrabat. Is Busquets going to stay? Is Busquets staying linked to Messi coming to Barcelona? I think the answer is yes. I think we, we have to begin the idea that the answer is yes. But but that that's the thing. Like if Busquets obviously if he stays, it's gonna be for a way 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 lower wage than what he has. But is Busquets saying because Messi is for certain coming back? When what you just mentioned, nobody knows if Messi is gonna be literally able to come back due to the financial plan that they're like Barcelona have to have approved by the league. So even if Busquets is like, oh yeah, I'm gonna stay on a really really low wage because my friend like the They've told me we're getting messy. We literally might not be able to get messy, and then Busquets stays, and there's no messy. So the whole well, point is Busquets' point. Like the Busquets' point, it's an like think of it a numbers game. His thirty-seven point five mil is coming off, which is part mm -hmm. of that one hundred twenty mil that Barcelona yeah. know they're already going to get relief from. But as you mentioned, you just you just mentioned it right there, and that and that's the point too. That even if Barcelona make up that eighty million through player sales right away, right, and they're at zero, you add. Three million extra a year to Balde. You add the four to five million extra a year to Gabi. You add the three million extra a year to Araujo. You add the five million because even if you say it's obviously it's not thirty-seven point five, but he'll probably still being that Busquets somewhere between five and eight. Like they're still going to keep him at that number. So you add, let's say, go high and say eight back to Busquets, and then Roberto, you take him back to zero, sure, but then you bring him back to three point five or five, something around that number. So. I, I'm, I wasn't keeping a running track, but yeah. So was it four plus five is nine plus four is 14 so plus 20, 22, 20, 25. Yeah, yeah. We're almost 25 to 30 in additional player sales now to renew and register and keep the squad that you had before. And again, now that's why, I mean, what you're saying is exactly correct. If it's Gundogan on 8 million or Messi on 10 million, doesn't matter because you might have to say either or, and that's the financial position the club is going to be in. And then, and then we do have to, that, that's the whole point. Like, I want everyone that's watching to like have that into account. This is not FIFA and we're not playing manager mode and whatnot. Like, sadly, I think there's going to be hard decisions. Like, whether it's, obviously, Kezi is not a hard decision. If somebody comes in with 20, 30, 40, of course, we're, we're going to sell him. But yeah. hard decisions will be selling on Sufati. Do we do it? Do we don't do it? Selling Christensen. Do we do it? Do we not do it? That that that's the whole. Like Rafinha, I don't. To me, that's not a hard decision. I, I just think Chris. I think things are becoming more and more clear. I think Christensen is not gone. I think they're stay. I think he's staying put. But I really do think like the idea of selling Rafinha is a hard decision. Like we've we, we've already talked about. Ansu was a hard decision. Emil and I have gone a hundred times over on that one. But I think selling Rafinha, selling a guy that got you ten goals and eleven assists, regardless of the nature of how he does not fit in the system, which we again we've we litigated a billion times this year. But he is 21 goal contributions this season and should be expected to do the same next season as a 27-year-old or whatever he is. He's in his prime. You're losing a Brazilian in their prime. And I guess, yeah, him Brazilian shouldn't matter, but you get the point. You're losing a player in their prime 
who you know is going to guarantee you somewhere between 15 and 20 goal contributions on the left wing as a backup, and you're losing that player. But and to be fair, yeah, as a backup, quote unquote, because he did, he he played a lot this season because Dembele right. was injured since what January. So and will be in perpetuity. So like consider <laughs> him what he is this year. But no, that's what I'm saying. Like, consider whatever Rafinha was this year would be exactly what he'll be next year. You're he's expecting Dembele to get injured again. Dembele, Dembele, yes. Got it. Got it. Well, to me, to me, it's not a hard decision. I would gladly sell. Like, I'm. I don't like Rafinha at all. So, and, but I do agree with like the, the end product. Like, it's the proof is in the pudding. Like, I can't put my. I can't like tapar el, el, el cielo, the sky with my hand. I can't do that because it is like. Almost twenty something goal contributions this season. I do agree, but that being said, I I think that's fool's gold. As crazy as that may sound, because Rafinha and his goal contributions are a significant part of why we're probably going to win the league as well. Well, but, well, let me ask you. Well, let me ask you. Of Ansu, Ferran, and Rafinha, how many of those three will be gone? Because I think again, the idea, and I've said this before, I have a strong feeling that Ansu was gone. That that is that deal is already done. Like Jorge Mendez wouldn't have. I would not have had to read the idea of a swap between Ansu Fati and Ruben Neves <laughs> today if if not for the fact that I think Ansu really is on his way out already, and the club is going to try to sell him for the biggest number that they can. Because as I've already conspiracy Dan has already been here, he'll he's, he's here again about that knee and about the long term health of Ansu. So the club knows something that we don't know. It's like not a Brandon Roy of the Portland Trailblazers situation where he was drafted and they looked at the medical reports and the, the Blazers were like, we'd love it. Like, of course, we're going <laughs> to take six years of excellence or three years of an all-star, then, you know, then not take him at all and all that stuff. But I don't, I don't know if it's to that level with his knees deteriorating, but I do think that there's something about Barcelona believing that we're never going to see the number 10 for Barcelona from Ansu Fati ever. Like that, that, that physical... Reality is not possible. Well, well, that's what I'm saying. It's like <sighs> if that's the, case, the club is going I'm depressed. To... No, I am too. But like that, the club is because I won't. I I would never want Ansu gone. I think Ansu has is at 20 has so much left to give, and I wouldn't want him gone. But I'm saying is like my gut says he's gone. So my the, my, the problem my, for you, wait, my question for you is is it Rafinha, Ferran, and Ansu are all, how all three of them can't be gone because like you can't use all three of those sales to get you to bring Messi and Gunnigan and a right back like, and, and then, or, or Amabat, right? Like for those four players, like that just doesn't work in the construction of the squad. Like you just don't have enough forwards. If that's the case, even bringing back Abde does not matter. But I mean, I guess you're swapping out, right? Is it Messi and Abde for Ansu and Rafinha or Ferran Torres? Like of those three, Rafinha, Ansu, Ferran Torres, are you getting rid of all three? Are you getting rid of two? Are you getting rid of one? And then who would be the case? I think we're you- getting rid of two. And I would get rid of Rafinha and, and Ferran. I'm a homer. I love Ansu. I'm going to die on this camp. I don't care. Because to me, like, if we had to swallow the, the hard pill and sell Ansu, as much as I don't want to, I love Ansu. And I'm being biased. Like, he might be damaged goods like Conspiracy Dan. Like, I'm not rolling that out. But to me, selling Ansu, if we were going to sell our pride and joy, what was supposed to be our next superstar and a superstar and whatnot, to me, that needed to happen if we were going to get like a super crack, like a Highland type, a Bellingham, a, a, a this and that. Like if we're just going to like sell our pride and joy to quote unquote, like 
fill gaps here and there. And then Ansu ends up getting back to whether it's a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, whatever that may be. And he ends up being that pre-torn meniscus Ansu. And then we're going to look back and wait, what we sold Ansu for this, which was a high amount. Well, we what we, that's, what you're, that's what you're saying. Would you sell Ansu for Messi? Is, is, no is, way. For Messi, for that's one the question one? That's the question that's being asked. No way. No way. If we were going to get, like I said, if we were going to, it's a hard pill to swallow. We're going to part ways with Ansu. But you're telling me we're going to get like a, even like a Florian Verts or something like that. That's like a young something that you're like, oh, okay, we're going to part ways with Ansu. But we're still, we're getting a 22, 23, 25-year-old, somebody that's, quote-unquote, supposed to be a world-class player, then that would be easier to swallow. But selling us to get messy for a year plus one more, depending if he, whoever, whatever that ends up being, no. No way. And I get it, like, the messy nostalgia and whatnot, but, like, sad, well, no way. No, we got, like, if you tell me, obviously, Highland isn't going to happen, but, like, people... Just so that people can get my point, like you're bringing in an Erling Haaland, an Mbappe, a Jude Bellingham, Florian Verts, uh, someone like that that you're like, yeah, it was hard to part ways. Like you're gonna give away a puppy that you love, but you're getting a puppy that still has years ahead of him. Like instead of like the the one that sadly is close to being gone. Like no, 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 no. I'm not selling Ansu for Messi. Yeah, I mean, oh. I agree with that. Like, Florian Verts is the right name because you look at that list and it's got to be a player you've already heard of that you already know about that is possible. And that list is so small. It really is. Like, you keep saying Holland and Mbappe, but they're also already, like, entering their mid-20s. Yeah. Like, Florian Verts is a player who, after having an ACL injury himself, he had 19 matches this season, four goals, eight assists, which is pretty, uh, pretty good in that time in, in just, you know, that's 12 goal contributions in 19 total matches. And it's just, he looks good. He can play all across four, uh, the front line. He's, I mean, he's basically a better version of Kai Havertz, who was another former Leverkusen, right? Yeah, I think he played Leverkusen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Florian Verts looks like a can't-miss prospect. That's the kind of guy you could bring in. But again, their agent's going to ask for $120 million for him. So it's like, that's, again, not a possibility. So I agree. Like, the player that you're wanting back from Ansu is just financially impossible for two years. So as I've said before, I mean, I'm with you because my thing on Ansu is that even if he were damaged goods, like again, my conspiracy that the club would sell him now because they know so much unfortunate, more negative news than we do. But if, if it's all true, let's say that's not true. And he's just like struggled this season as any 20 year old forward who had all a two years of injuries would have. And he was just struggling and he can get back to 80% of what he was and score eight goals next season with five assists or whatever it is like 13 goal contributions. I take that in year 21 for Ansu. But if he can do that, then you're right. I would stay that course for two more years until financially the club can get that next attacking crack. Cause you're right. Like the club has to begin to say goodbye to Vito Roca. That's not going to happen. Like those players are not coming in because they cannot afford. I, I'm I, again, I'll use your name until the very end, but they are not going to get an attacking young crack. That is like Real Madrid pulling in Bellingham. That's just not going to happen for Barcelona for at least two more years. But as we've said many, many times, there is a path forward, but the margins are small. And Alemani leaving means that their risk is even higher. You cannot make mistakes. You have to put the right people in the right positions to make the right decisions, and you cannot get anything wrong. And we've seen that Barcelona get a lot right. They are. Like they are still one of the better run clubs, and they get a lot right 
Pedri was right. Like, and we can't just say that Roman Planas is gone, but he got a few wrong and he got a bunch of right that was really, really helpful. <laughs> you know, Kuman bringing up Gabi and trusting in that kid was a right decision and good decisions have been made. Xavi bringing up Balde, trusting Christensen as a free transfer. Those are good decisions that have been made at the club over the last few years. And that's why Barcelona won the Liga or yes, are going to win the Liga. But that said, the risk and the margins are still so, so small for another year or two. And Alemani leaving, to wrap that all up, makes it all tough. And bringing Messi back or not is like beyond that thought. Like that is, a, that is a thought you cannot begin to think until July 1st, until you know much more about player sales and all that stuff. So final word for you, Rafa. No, the one thing I'll say, and it, um, it, just, it just popped into my head. I know we talked about Busquets and you said that you think it's, probably going to happen and I'm Rabat and a play like that. But what, what, what I worry is that to me, we can't, but it's like a rhetorical question, but can we play next year against top tier teams, high pressing teams with great talent with both Messi and Busquets in the starting lineup in the champions league? We've seen this, 10 years ago, and like it, had, it didn't work in what, 28, 2019, whatever that may be. So, what worries me is, is, is that like, like it scared me that you said, oh, yeah, we're getting rid of Busquets' wages, like current wages. But if we sign him, it's not like we're going to sign him to like three million net or something like that. It's going to be more close to like seven or eight. And yeah. to me, paying Busquets seven to eight million euros, like net salary is insane given his age and whatnot. So to me, and I guess I might get, like I just said, I'd rather have Ansu than Messi. I might get the Messi hive is coming for me than save me. But I'd rather pay Amrabat. I know there's supposed to be a transfer fee and whatnot, but like just salary-wise, I would rather have someone that, to me, the way we want to play, control the game, the way Xavi pretends he wants to play and then comes out during press conferences. No, we didn't do this. The players didn't understand the third man, the magic square, this and that. We don't play well in that aspect. So we got one thing is theory and another thing is reality. So for reality, we need someone that can fix, quote unquote, the mistakes, the positional mistakes that we we have more often than not. And just thinking about having Messi and Busquets in the starting lineup in 23rd, 2023 and 2024, to me, that's, I'm, I'm going to have nightmares. And I just want, I just wanted to throw that out there because I know it's not what we talked about the latest, but it was like throughout the entire episode that to me, until Xavi proves that he has the quality as a manager to make his team play the way he wants to, because to me, we don't play the way he wants to. We need to get players that are able to cover for other players. And I don't necessarily mean this, like this is about Amrabat 100%, but somebody like Amrabat or like, uh, I know this is going to be, people are gonna, like a Casemiro that's completely opposite to the Barcelona way because we're not getting another Busquets. That, a player like that doesn't exist. So we got to, like turn that switch that, hey, until Xavi proves that he can manage a team and play the way he wants to, we got to have players that are able to correct the way we more often than not control matches, especially against big teams. So I don't know. You just scared, you just scared me with the whole Busquets thing, yeah, Dan. I'm sorry. 
no, it's okay. You haven't thought of the fact that Messi is two years older than he was last at Barcelona, and Lewandowski will be 35 next year. All good. No problem. Twitter and Instagram for us, at Pod. Also on TikTok, closed Facebook group, Patreon, YouTube. You know where to find us, as well as the merch store, which I always remind you doesn't So thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. More goodbye, sir. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com